2: Hello, everyone. Welcome to More than Just a Podcast podcast. Bobby Moore. Bobby Moore tribute. Special. Special. Um, Sunday arcs 20 years of Bobby Moore's passing. And all West Ham fans and the club itself are going to be remembering him in many different ways. And this is our way.
3: This is our way. And I hope you're impressed that I haven't revealed who the special guest is usually. I, I put it on Twitter and Facebook, but I've actually kept it a secret. So it will be a proper reveal.
4: Wow.
0: Unless unless you don't understand the clues, <laughs> which, are, which so, uh, are really cryptic. <laughs> so let, let's do a quick, <laughs> oh, <that's right. laughs>
2: quick introduction. We're all here. Sean, Reece, hi, George, hi. Hello. and myself, George. Hey, 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 hey. Um, so let's start by reading Bobby Moore's fact file out, Sean. Yeah. I, d- I haven't got it up in a minute. Bobby Moore, OBE, joined West Ham in 1956 cool, to 1974. Yeah. Uh, he made 642 appearances and 27 goals For West Ham mm. His debut was the 8th of September 1958 And who was that against, John?
0: That was against Manchester United well done. And his final game, I bet you don't know that His final game, wasn't that the FA Cup tie against Hereford United? Mm. In January
2: 1974 <laughs> it, it was, John oh, dog. Dog. Let's
3: talk about England then 108 caps <laughs> for England <laughs> and 90 of them as captain. Uh, Not a lot of people know that. How many Mm. goals did he get then? Oh, just two. When was he born, John? Um, Was that
0: twelfth
3: of April-ish?
0: 1941?
3: Yeah, where was it? In the
0: Barking area, wasn't it Barking? It was
3: Barking, yeah. And as as we've already said, he died on the 24th of February 1993, which he was 51 at the time that makes him. How old would he be today if he was alive, John?
0: He would have been uh, Uh, seventy-one, I believe.
3: (laughs) Reese. Who else did he play for after he left West Ham?
2: Uh, He had a uh, just brief spells with certain teams. You lot aren't reading this
4: at all. uh. Yeah, it's uh, from Fulham,
2: and then he went over to San Antonio Thunder and Seattle Sounders and Danish Team FC, if I remember correctly. You played
0: for Fulham, Mm. Mittyland. And, and oh, um, I didn't see the bottom bit. I just <laughs> thought there was a team called okay. a, seen, D- a D- D- Danish team. We've been seen. rumbled. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and, and he managed a number of teams, didn't he? Mm. John.
0: He did, yeah. He, he managed Oxford City, not Oxford as in Oxford United, I think it was at the time. Yeah. Who was his City? number two? Uh, it was Harry Redknapp, yeah. who he, he tells a funny story about that, doesn't he? He does, yeah. He's
3: a funny guy. And who else did he manage?
0: Hmm. George, who did he manage? I don't know.
2: I, I haven't got his fat file in front of me. South ah. End. South End. And Hong Kong team
3: A Eastern <laughs> AA Now, now. We, we're on the home street. How many times did he <laughs> what? home street? How many times did he win Hammer of the Year, Reese? <laughs> I don't know, four? Four times, yeah. Oh, nice. Sixty one, sixty three, sixty eight, and nineteen seventy. He also picked up the UEFA Cup Winners' Cup in 1965, the FA Cup in 1964, and of course, who
2: forget <laughs> who the forget the World Cup in 1966. Yeah, he, he won 1966, that's what I had. Mm. And the
3: final fact is George. Is it? He won BBC Sports Personality of the Year in 1966.
2: Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
2: There we go. So, he had quite a successful career. He had a very
3: successful. He got all career. Right. Yeah. Not yeah. bad. Yeah. And we didn't mean to put uh, joviality around it because uh, we didn't mean to make a um, a joke of his whole career so if that no, he, was the case if it came across like that it's not he good, would he good. would
2: have liked the, the joviality good mm. good anyway. So, Sean, do you want to uh, – we'll probably go straight into the interviews now, won't yeah, we? Yeah, we will, won't we? So, um, One of them is a very, very special guest. Yeah, the,
3: the first one, actually. Um, I, I talked to a number of people, as I think I said on the last podcast, to find out we wanted to name, uh, line up some big names who knew Bobby Moore personally. And uh, one of them came off. And as George, uh, John said, I did sort of give quite an obvious um, hint <laughs> that it was a knight of the realm. Yeah, is that the one yeah, you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, obviously. Well, it yeah. could have been Sir Jeff Hurst
0: yep
4: mm.
5: Mm.
3: but it's not it is sir trevor brooking who Trev. i spoke to on um friday uh, a couple of days before this podcast and this is what trevor had to say sir trevor sir, sir,
0: sir trevor sir, Trev. sir,
3: sir trevor and we welcome to more than just a podcast another west ham legend it's Sir uh, trevor brooking hi sir trevor yeah hi yep
1: please speak to you
3: so just want to go through your your west ham stats um my research says 647 appearances, 102 goals for West Ham, man, West Ham manager twice for 14 games, 9 wins, 4 draws, 1 loss, win ratio of 64%, capped 47 times for England, 5 goals for England, former West Ham director, knighted in 2004, and director of football for the FA. It's not bad for a, a
1: boy from East End and Barking, is it? Yeah no, <laughs> very good. You got you stats very good. Yeah no, I mean uh, very lucky as such a, as you see, uh, really, well just East London lad, born in Barking really, and um, you know, mum and dad obviously were a big influence on me in those days. But um, and my b- had a brother who was sort of three three and a half years older than me, so I used to tag along with Tony a lot of the time and play with a lot of lads um, who were probably a bit older than me. That might have helped the football side. But yeah, no, um yeah, And I I
3: said, and obviously had a stand named after you I'm a season ticket in the uh Sir Trevor Brooking lower so uh and are oh, you that's dangerous because isn't it you got you got yeah. all your away fans. Right next to your away fans, that's <laughs> yeah. right. And yeah. I don't know if you know this, but next time you see uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, you've got a be- better win ratio than him. He's after a thousand games; he was just under 60%.
1: You've got 64.29. So yeah. next time you bump into him, you might want to mention that. <laughs> yeah, secret is get out <laughs> while the going's good. I think well, he's got about 20 odd more years. Though. I mean, it's an unbelievable record his one. So because uh, even in 14 games, you can see the you know the roller coaster that a manager has. So it was fascinating stuff. So to to imagine him been doing it. And as successful as that for so long is amazing, really. Yeah. Well, usually
3: when we talk to West Ham Legends, we're talking about their career. Um, on this particular, because we've got the anniversary of um, Bobby Moore coming up, we want to talk about Bobby Moore. So a little few uh, facts about Bobby Moore. Um, he he joined in, in 1956. West Ham left in 1974. I believe that was a seven-year overlap with with your uh, stint at West Ham. Um 642 appearances, 27 goals, 108 caps for England, 90 of them as captain. Uh, Again, uh, I think you just pipped him. Did you buy five appearances for West Ham, i stats say?
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, yes, 640-odd each. But, uh, I mean, he he was a local lad as well. And, of course, as you said, um, he was at the club when I first went there. I mean, I was... uh, sort of first approach by West Ham in 64, um, which, um, when I was still at school, and, uh, of course, that was the year West Ham won the FA Cup, and then, um, uh, I was actually drifting towards Chelsea at that stage because West Ham hadn't come round, and they came re- really late in the day, and, um, so, of course, having been being a West Ham fan, I, I quickly switched <laughs> Allegiance and then agreed to join them a year later when I was going to finish my GCs, uh, uh, as they were in those the- days, and, um then of course during that year, they, they uh, at the end of that season, when I joined that summer, they won the cup winners' cup, and then of course um, in '66, you know, they won the World Cup. So it was a fantastic time for any youngster just joining the little old East End club to have all that happening at that stage. So it was, uh, it was pretty uh, inspirational stuff, and of course uh, you know, Bobby was very much a key part of England and West Ham at that time.
3: Yeah, so i've got your debut on 1967 that's a year before i was born a 3-3 free, free draw away for burnley <laughs> away <yeah. laughs> to burnley and that's a game where bobby played and he scored so uh,
1: how did you first meet bobby and what was your relationship with bobby uh well it, it was strange because i had uh that season 64 or 65 i was i stayed on extra year at school because in those days you could leave school and, uh, you know, before taking your GCSEs uh, at, at 15 and so I was at a grammar school at the time and so the... The, you know the headmaster and so forth weren't too impressed that I was going to abandon my GCSEs and stuff um, and go off uh, to join football because it you know, wasn't th- that lucrative of a career at that time. Uh, in fact, it was only about the time the old maximum wage was being lifted. So um, what happened then for a year? I, I used to train uh, sometimes a couple of times in the evening, Tuesday and Thursdays, and then I, c- I had a couple of injuries during that year and um, only little knocks and stuff, but uh, they they allowed us to go in on a Sunday morning to see the physiotherapist in West Ham, a lad called Rob Jenkins. And, uh, I went in there twice, about two, two Sundays each time to get some treatment. And so on four weekends, when I happened to be there, to get my treatment, Bobby came in that, uh, sort of morning and, um, did some training, a bit, a bit of lapping actually with his tracksuit and a sweatsuit on. And, um, so I, I, mean, so I was met him then and just chatted briefly, and he just asked us about, you know, my background and whatever. But um, what was interesting when I spoke to Rob, Rob later, and I had enough courage, I said, why is every time I've been here, always, he comes in always every Sunday because he, you know, they, they play the game, they go out on the Saturday night, and he likes to sweat out um, yeah. what, what, where he's gone on the Saturday night. And so it was an early sort of indication that um, of all, all the. You know, the, the the players at that particular time. He was the only one who trundled up on a Sunday morning to sweat it out the next day, and uh, and that was probably an early indication of you know uh, how he's he was really focused to to really make sure that um, you know kept his fitness levels up, and it was a he was at, at the peak of his playing period then. I mean, uh, and so uh, that was a good example for any youngster to to learn certainly. And then of course I joined in '65, and then gradually um, you know got to, in the when you at that stage unlike now you, you you're all in the same uh training ground at travel Heath and so you you saw them uh as they come in and out and then of course I started to join in a little bit with first team sessions and and gradually got my chance and as you say I think the Burnley Burnley in fact were a really big team in those days late 60s uh they were always in contention and I've got a feeling there's a three-all draw didn't didn't uh didn't Jeff and Martin also score. I've got a funny feeling that I, I had a more peters hurst trio who scored each of our yes, goals when I we drew 3-3. So that been was been quite in my special at boat. the time. Yeah, right? I think it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty amazing. I can't remember too much how how I contributed to that, but um, it was it was just fantastic, A, to get a good draw. Well, I think you got like nine the, goals
3: that season, so since you joined it part of the way through the season, you got nine goals on that first debut of, of the season.
1: Yeah, that no, was good. Uh, I mean, it's... Uh, the, the main thing, I think, funnily enough, in the you know, with like any youngster, sometimes you you got to wait for your opportunity. And I I was I had misspells spells for a couple of seasons when I was in and out of the team because. So certainly, send, like you had Martin there, who's uh, who's in a, a sort of attacking midfield player. And then they brought in a lad called Peter Eustace, who was an attacking midfield player, and um, and so you, you, you're sort of in and out. And I just had a bit of back trouble, and so I played quite a bit of time as a as a striker um, because that was the chance in the team, so to speak. And uh, it probably wasn't until sort of seventy that uh, seventy one that I I, I got me sort of opportunities to play in my favourite position in midfield and then sort of started to kick on and get more consistent from then I think
3: yeah well they, they talk always about Bobby was a great inspirational leader on the pitch off the pitch what, what was your memories of him you know
1: in the dressing room and, and on the pitch as a leader yeah I mean he's he he was a leader by example I, I think I mean yes, he actually I don't think you could say he was a shouter and, you know, and and, uh, on the pitch. And and so you almost, he led by example. He was a... What what were his strengths on the pitch, if you were watching him as a player? I, I, his reading of the game was fantastic. I mean, everyone talked about, um, you know, wasn't as strong in the air or or wasn't the quickest to defend. But, I mean, he didn't have to be, to be honest, because he, he was always a, a step or a yard ahead of everyone, you know, nipping in front of people, anticipating passes, uh, and, and just being ahead a of the game. And... I think then certainly when you're training and then when you're you're playing in a game, he, he would encourage you if you did things okay and fine. If you then try to uh, over overcomplicate things, he, uh, I had a couple of little rants from him where I try I, I, I sort of turned away, got myself into trouble, and he he, he, he emphasized the importance of being yeah, playing it simple now and again. Um, and so that was a good lesson. And uh, then of course you you, you know, really uh, off the pitch. Um, i'm sure if you speak to anyone he was meticulously tidy was bob um and um yeah he always hung his stuff up in the dressing room and then i certainly know in those days for a while we used to have two players in a room and then they ended up eventually now they they all have individual rooms but um bobby was the first to have almost of it because frank lampard was probably the as a young lad of my age who, who roomed for a little while but um He was so meticulously tidy that I think everyone was conscious (laughs) that um, their bedroom was pretty disheveled compared to his. And um, it's almost like he, you know, he he was then, of course, captain and he was England captain. And he certainly, um, you know, portrayed uh, and and I think realized that he had a certain image and and level that, um, you know, he should behave you know, as, as representing a the club and then the country and that's probably why uh, was it out he said hundred and eight he, he had 90 cats which is a pretty amazing to be captain uh, for that period of time um, because when you think of all the great names uh, during that period um he was an obvious leader um, by example that um, everyone responded to
4: absolutely so
3: in 1973 uh, I, I understand Brian Clough offered of West Ham 400,000 for Bobby Moore and yourself. Um, what can you tell us about that? What, what dialogue
1: was there? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I certainly was part of that deal, but it never got to a stage where I, I had a discussion with anyone. Um, what happened was there was an initial discussion with Bob, um, and Bobby and his aide and whatever, and then I think it's fair to say that um, uh, Ron Greenwood, um, who, who A, by then, you know, had given me my chance. And, uh, you know, at the time I was playing okay pretty well. And then Bobby, naturally, was coming towards the latter stages. But if you remember, I think Brian, also, he he got Dave McKay at one stage and needed to play at the back, Um, a great Spurs player who played at the back defensively for Derby, almost to... To, to lift the team uh, and get them onto another level and, and that was the idea I think of getting Bobby and then he'd, he'd identified me as a, perhaps a younger talent coming through but um, from what I can gather Ron then was really strong with board and said look if if this deal goes through I'm going to step away and um, so Ron had been almost the leading light from a coaching point of view the West Ham style of play um, we were often you know when they won it in 65 almost the late 60s early 70s West Ham a lot, got a lot of plaudits for the way we played and passed the ball. <laughs> Sometimes we could beat anyone on our day, and of course we could lose to anyone as well. But that's because we probably didn't have the depth of, of squad that the other bigger size. But um, Ron's playing style, I think, was very strong. It was um, something that um, the club, you know, benefited from. And I think you know the directors wisely thought they didn't want to lose. Bobby uh, and Ron, let, let alone myself at the time, uh, I, I was probably the minnow in that discussion. But in the end, um, the directors then backed Ron. They didn't sell Bobby. And then I didn't, in in the end, have any discussions as to whether or what would have happened. I don't know. But um, it never got to that stage from my point of view. But I know that uh, uh, Bobby and his uh, agent did at the time have a discussion. And I certainly they were uh, you know, keen to do the deal. But Ron had stepped in and said No.
3: Yeah, well, obviously, Bobby joined Fulham in the end. Uh, you stayed with one club. I'm not going to cl- uh, count uh, Cork City, that I know has been in the papers recently. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I did to leave
1: a blue star in the northeast as well. That was another <laughs> little one I've been for. So,
3: so I uh, know they blocked his, his move for, to Tottenham, uh, which probably caused some sour grapes, and then he eventually, uh, obviously, moved on to Fulham. But, I mean, there's been talk lately, and, and Harry Redknapp recently said on, on the radio that, you know, the stewards once asked him to leave the grounds because he didn't have a ticket coming back to West Ham. But he was born in East End. Do, do you know, after he left West Ham, had he lost the love affair with West Ham after he left the club?
1: Oh, I don't think so, no. I don't, I don't. I don't really know... I can't imagine any steward who wouldn't have known of, of the link with Bovert who, who would have tried to you know, deal that way. But I mean, I'm sure if that, if that, if that was happened, uh, how it happened, I don't know. But um, at the time, of course, uh, it was quite strange as well because in uh, in 75 when we won the FA Cup, he was playing for Fulham against us. Yeah. So that, well, that was quite a weird experience if you've been a number of years uh, with him as your captain and suddenly you had he and, of course, really other well-known uh, football uh, who'd been successful internationally was Alan Mallory, who was the captain of Fulham. So to play those two, um, you know, was was yeah you know, a little bit respectful, but then in the end we managed to win, and, and so it was great. But, um, you know, from that point of view, after that, um, I mean, Bob Bob then, I suppose, was just looking for, for one more move. They, they actually had an interesting team a little bit after that, didn't they? They had the likes of Rodney Marsh went there, probably, probably might have been attracted by Bob being there, and uh, Georgie Bess went there late on in his... His uh, little career. And, and so Fulham were, were quite a, a fascinating little club, uh, a celebrity club at the time. And um, because they weren't, you know, they didn't have the great big crowd base. But certainly from that point of view, um, I don't think when I saw them bob afterwards, because he, you know, when he packed up playing, I suppose that was the biggest disappointment. Uh, and probably from his point of view, the association with the game then sort of wasn't as strong as it perhaps should have been for somebody who had that playing career um, as to what the reasons for that um, i have never probably uh, sit down with Bob and of course then we lost him too early because he'd gone back into broadcasting by then and I used to see a bit of uh, Bob when he was doing his uh, Capital Radio broadcasting uh, with Jonathan Pearce it was at the time and um, and I remember seeing him just a few days before he passed away where he was really really ill where he'd come to a, an England game at Wembley um, and, and then passed away a few days later.
3: Yeah, I, I think you, uh, um, you, uh, you didn't unveil the fact that a statue in 2003 outside the New Wembley. You were you there and you, you made a speech and you said uh, Bobby's contribution to football and history has sadly only been recognised after his premature death. Why do you think that was? Because cause nowadays every school kid knows his name Uh, everybody knows the name of Bobby Moore. It's almost like a brand now, and obviously that does support the Bobby Moore fund with Stephanie. But why is it that he he was only recognized really after his death? And and also, what would Bobby make of this today? What would he make of all the fuss that everybody talks about and and the promotion about Bobby Moore on his 20th anniversary of his passing?
1: Um, I think it's a fantastic, uh, you know, reflection on him that, um, you know, 20 years since he has passed away, He his name is so strong. Um, Stephanie certainly deserves a lot of credit. I mean, I think she's raised almost uh, you know, a million pounds a year almost over those last years. So, Nick, she's getting on towards 20 million now, which is an amazing sum, um, and has done a, a, a fantastic amount of great work. I think when Bob finished, I mean, he... It's like any footballer, actually, when you're, you're in your mid-30s late 30s not sure what to do does he want to go into coaching he he, he had a couple of little looks at it and, and it didn't seem to be for him and 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 so at that stage um you know he 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 didn't have a, a set route to go into the the broadcasting side came later um because i don't think at one stage he was he was so keen on that and um again it, it, it's one of those. Then gradually, he, he started to do Capital Radio uh, and started doing the punditry stuff, and I think was starting to put his, uh, you know, profile in that area. And I think would have kicked on from there, of course. But you know, when passed away, was it 51? Um, was no age at all. And so those extra few years then, when um, you know, I think with the broadcasting and then uh, you know, other opportunities, I'm sure with with Companies and so forth would have evolved because at the time, I think it's also important to remember you know, we won the 66 World Cup, and you know, then Bobby sort of packed up in the late 70s. But no one ever quite realized that we would never win a trophy. I mean, yeah. at the time, to be honest, um, everyone was excited and, and, and thought great, but um, you know, to be sitting here now, uh, 20 years on from Bobby being passed away, and uh, well, yeah, we keep being o- over 50 years, um, you know, since almost well, getting on to 50 now. That we we haven't won anything. Um, it is uh, something I don't think we, anyone was anticipating because um, we just thought English football would would be there competing indefinitely, and of course uh, that hasn't happened. And and probably as each frustration of the big tournament comes around, and we we don't sort of get to that even to the final or last stage like that, then you know, that memory of 66 and Bobby and everything sort of does loom. And, and so that's, you know, I think a, a realisation of what they've achieved um, perhaps sometimes only comes later.
3: Hmm. Final question, uh, maybe a difficult one, it's a bit speculation, but if Bobby was alive today, what, what role do you think
1: he would be fulfilling either at the FA or in football at West Ham? Um, or... Well, uh, West Ham is difficult. I don't know with, with, you know, your club links sometimes. Um, I'm sure, yeah, you've still got the stand there and whatever, and he'll be forever legendary status. Um, From England, I mean, you know, with all the um, the 150th anniversary that they're celebrating this year, of course, Bobby, if it had been alive, would have been, you know, quite prominent, probably been an ambassador, we would have only been too pleased to you know, invite him to the, some of the special functions celebrating those 150 years where of course a world cup victory is the shining light during that period of time. So, um, you know, he, 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 you know, he, he was certainly being a, a high, high profile individual uh, depending on, you know, what he, he wanted to do himself. But um, as I say, and uh, I'm, I'm sure, you know, there, I mean, even at the, the recent game, there was that picture of he and uh, Pelé after the 70 uh, game where they were two outstanding talents. And, um, you know, the Brazil-England matches and, you know, the ones against Germany. Each time you play against that sort of opposition, the memories of the games that probably was, was our captain will, will come forward. So, um, I don't, you know, we're 20 years on now and I, I, I certainly can't see that uh, uh, going any lesser in the years ahead. Yeah,
3: and there's, there's a number of memorials at the uh, West Ham uh, Spurs game. There's going to be a mosaic in in the Bobby Moore stand. There's going to be a reflaying on the Sunday before by in Green Street at the statue. And and, and I know there's Bobby Moore fan events and and a number of other things going on um, at, at the game, at the Spurs game against West Ham.
1: Yes, it's. Um, Well, I think Bobby passed away on the 24th. The game itself is the Monday night, the 25th. So, you know, you can't get much closer to it than that. And um, so, you know, a local derby like that, um, Spurs West home games are always pretty passionate and uh, competitive. And uh, so I'm sure, you know, there'll be the, the away fans as well. I think they'll all respect that. You know, Bobby uh, was a a fantastic England player as much as a a West Ham player. But um, the atmosphere of the game... (laughs) Well, uh, I (laughs) I think I think what happens in those things, you know, probably uh, you you end up with spontaneous applause. You know, so as you... You get everyone joining in like that, um, and that's probably the, the more modern way of doing it. But um, yeah, I think there is going to be a minute of applause. Um, yeah, and that, that makes sense. So uh, a quick, then, we, quick yeah. West Ham question before you go: Are,
3: are we going to survive the drop this this uh, season, Sir <laughs> Trevor?
1: Yeah, well, yes, you've got to be confident. I, 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 I certainly, up until what December time, we're playing really well, and. Um, and then, obviously, we've had that indifferent spell. We've struggled to score goals, particularly away from home. I thought the Swansea game might turn the corner a bit. Um, I thought we played well. And the home games, I think we've played pretty well. It's just that yeah. away form that's been the problem. So... I don't know. Spurs will be in, uh, a pretty flashy night, but I, I'd like to feel that uh, it'll be a great got... memory
3: for uh, Bobby if if we could we could turn them over on. on yeah, the...
1: I mean if you if you if you get a win there, 33 points, then yeah. you've got one step certainly in 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 staying up there for next year. So I think we've got enough in our locker hopefully to to stay up. Excellent.
3: So Trevor Brooking, West Ham legend, thanks for being our guest, on more than just a podcast, Bobby, more special. Hope to speak to you maybe sometime in the future about your career on the
1: podcast. But certainly, thanks for being our guest today. Yep, no, only two, please. Thank you very much. Cheers.
2: Well, there you go. True West Ham royalty appearing on the podcast. That's yeah, interesting well fact that I've just told everyone off there. He is the first person to appear I've got on our a cold podcast. Tune, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I have sorry, got a cold. That appears <laughs> in our theme tune. Yes. Yeah.
3: Mm. So now we've just got to work on Paolo Di Canio. Uh, Billy Bonds. Billy Bonds. And West Ham United.
2: And who? Jeff Jeff Hurst. Hurst. And West Ham United. (laughs) And more than just a podcast. Very good interview, Sean. very Well well done,
3: done, Sean. And a a coup for the podcast. Thank you for... To get Trevor. Yeah, Yeah. no, and it was really... uh, And I want to thank... I'll tell you who I want to thank. I want to thank Emma. Emma is his uh, PA at the FA. And uh, Emma arranged that interview for me. So thank you very much, Emma, for all you did to arrange that.
2: Thanks, Emma. Thank you. You're the best. So on to another interview now. Um, another tribute to Bobby, someone well, who knew Bobby I, very well. Is there
3: anything you want to say about Sir Trevor? Is there something that you picked up on or anything you want to add to that interview? Or No? No? John? You didn't find any of it?
0: I found it all very interesting. I thought it was all very yeah, interesting. Too much to cover. But I, you know,
2: know, it, I think Reese has hit, it I on, mean, and hit the nail on the head there. It, it was, it was just too, much, too much stuff to reflect on and mm. talk about.
0: From the point of view of what we, how you generally do these interviews with these ex-players and stuff, it was a, a good little mix of a bit about him and a lot about probably yeah. more. but it would be nice to talk to him.
3: Yeah, I know, and, and I, I've hopefully put that um, idea in his head. But and for me, it was the, the story of the Sunday, you know, when he first joined and... Uh, he saw this bloke sweating out on a Sunday and he passed the first team and he said that's because he's been on the the beer the night before and he came in to sweat off. So I, I thought that was quite a good good story.
0: Yeah, different era though in the morning. Yeah, so of yeah, course. That's the, that's the difference. They all used to yeah. up, have a drink. Reese,
3: when he was a professional footballer, would never drink on a Saturday night. So yeah, different I era. I saved era it for either. Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, let's move on to the second one.
2: Uh, okay, so he he appeared on the podcast earlier this it's last his year. second time. It's his second yeah. appearance. He's mm. a close friend of Bobby's. One from the Hattrick Ball. Yeah. Yeah he is. Mm. I need to get some of those. Yeah, really 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 yeah.
3: he's, he's an author. He's a journalist. Uh, and knew Bobby very well. And uh know Stephanie Moore very well. And, we and be
2: prepared to be surprised. Mm. Some of the things he says about yeah, Bobby.
3: Yeah. We're, we'll talk about that afterwards. Yeah. But it is Norman Giller. Norm, Welcome Norman back Norman Giller. Welcome Norman back. Giller. So we welcome back to More Than Just a Podcast, he's uh, an East End boy at heart, he's an author of over 90 books and uh, he's a celebrated journalist and also a very good friend of the great late Bobby Moore, it's Norman Giller, welcome back to More Than Just a Podcast, Norman. Hello Sean
5: and hello to your Hammers listeners, it's a pleasure to be back with
3: you. Yeah, so we're doing a a, a Bobby Moore special, Uh, we're celebrating or, or commemorating rather um, 20 years since since he passed, back in 1993. It's
5: well worth it, um, Sean. I'm going to just say, I, I cannot believe that 20 years have gone, and I'm sure most, most of you listeners feel the same. It's astonishing,
3: 20 years. Yeah, I do remember the day the news broke, and, and you remember seeing all the flowers outside the bowling at the gates. And, yeah, it doesn't seem like 20 years. Yeah, but if, maybe you, you, if you
5: think back to those air times, we were, we were all braced for it, because... Uh, the announcement had been made about 10 days beforehand that um, he had terminal cancer. But uh, no matter, without that, even with that notice, it still came as a shock to all of us.
3: Yes, so I, I've been doing a bit of research and reading a bit about, you know, Bobby Moore, because obviously West Ham are making a bit of an effort now, and uh, there's a number of events, so there's going to be a reef next Sunday at the uh, Bobby Moore statue in Green uh, Street, There's the match against Tottenham, which is going to have a number of events, like a mosaic with his number six shirt at the Bobby Moore stand. Uh, I think there's a number of guests, and there will be a minute silence, etc. So the club are recognising their links with Bobby Moore. But there's been a lot of talk that that wasn't always the case. I know that there's been um, a journalist friend of yours, Nick Powell, uh, sorry, uh, Jeff Powell, uh, was talking on a a Radio 5 programme, along with with, uh, Jonathan Pearce and and Harry Redknapp, and and sort of saying that, you know, Bobby Moore left on bad terms. He was never really welcomed back to the club. You know, the dispute apparently went back to 1966.
5: Yeah, well, well, it was um, rather than falling in love with the club, uh, he set out with his mentor, Ron Greenwood, and um, it was a big personality clash that was kept very quiet. But um, the undercurrent was there for these three seasons. And it came to the crunch of through the Blackpool affair. When uh, Bobby knows that he did wrong that day, when uh, he went drinking on the uh, eve of the, of the match against Blackpool. But um, he and Jimmy...
3: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring.
2: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
5: Green's
3: particularly felt
5: that uh, the, the club could handle it so much better. They just threw it into the walls and uh, Bobby was bitter forever after.
3: So how about his, what was his reasoning that he wanted to move to Spurs? It's been said, you know, he wanted a, a chance at winning the title. And to say, didn't I'm, 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 I'm
5: wearing my Spurs hat at the moment because uh, that's the club that I'm of. Um, sorry, I'm And um, at that time, if, if you think back to the uh, in mid-60s, the Tottenham were the team. And Bobby, you know, desperately wanted to win something and... Uh, it, he would have had much better chance at that time with, with, with Spurs of winning the league championship. While West Ham were always a good cup side, they never um, really challenged for, for the um, first division championship. That sure shows yeah, my age so when I said first division championship.
4: Yeah,
3: so um, so I understand. His contract actually expired on the 30th of June that year. Yes, so technically is, yes, wasn't yeah. attached to any club and yeah. wasn't affiliated to the FA. So ineligible to play for the national team as it approached the 66 World Cup finals?
5: Yes, yeah, FIFA, so FIFA, FIFA made it very clear that if Bobby was not uh, assigned to a club, he, he could not play in the World Cup. And so yeah. um, while Bobby was under enormous pressure. And, uh, Ron Greenwood uh, was summoned to Hendon Hall, which was the team headquarters. And um, behind a closed doors, he signed um, a, a month's contract with West Ham. And um, so he went into the World Cup as a West Ham player. And afterwards, um, because of the success, um, you know, West Ham couldn't possibly let him go. And um, they gave him a very, very good deal.
3: Yeah, so, he, I mean, apparently, as, as the reports I've read, is that the dispute still simmered on, although he had a new deal. They still blocked an, another move to Spurs four years later.
5: Yeah, well, well um, you have to remember, any time we went away with England team. Um, There were teammates, particularly Jimmy Greaves, whispering in his ear, uh, Alan Mallory, um, because Bill Nicholson was desperate to get Bobby. Um, uh, Bill Nicholson was the best judge of a player of all time, and he knew that Bobby would have been the the difference between Spurs being a a so-so club or winning the championship. And uh, he tried mightily hard um, in a roundabout way to get Bobby to go to White Hart Lane. And Bobby wanted to go. But um, West Ham were stubborn, and uh, Long Green wouldn't hear of it.
3: Yeah, so I, on from that, I hear that they, they then promised more that he could leave on a uh, a personally lucrative free transfer at the end of the 73,
5: 74 season. Yeah, this, is, this was uh, when Bobby was uh, on the wind down his career, and um, um, Darby had been in for him, but Brian Clough, um, Brian being Brian, he didn't uh, waste, waste time, he, t- he took Bobby out to dinner, which was which is the most uh, bare-faced tap-in I've ever heard of. And he took him to Churchill's, uh, so he hardly hit it, and he sat Bobby down and, and told him uh, that uh, by coming, going to Derby, he, he he would win a European Cup, let alone the League Championship, and he wanted to take Trevor Brooking as well. And uh, he offered yeah. 400000 which was a lot of money there.
3: Yeah, no, I I asked uh, Sir Trevor about that in a, in our in an er- earlier interview, and he said, you know, they they spoken to Morrow, but I hadn't spoken to him. He was he was a minnow as as part of the deal. I mean, in the end, he moved to Fulham for twenty five thousand, so they were reneged on the free transfer. Yeah, deal. exactly,
5: and um, I know it's, it sounds peanuts, twenty five thousand now, but but back in nineteen seventy four, yeah. um, you know, twenty five grand was a lot of money, and, and Bobby had debts at the time, and uh, and that you know, would have helped him
3: out of his trouble. So I, I heard that also a, a number of influential West Ham fans and, and businessmen raised a, a, an amount of money to try and stop the transfer and, and were happy to pay the difference between what, what Fulham were offering and West Ham were offering, plus a sort of loyalty bonus to stay. But um, that wasn't enough to keep him. I don't know if you know anything about yes, that. Which I do, and,
5: and, it, and it wasn't money by then. It was just that uh, he and Ron were, you know, virtually not, not talking to each other. And... Um, the atmosphere was appalling, and so um, he moved on to Fulham. And um, always had a bit of West Ham in, in his nose. Uh, you know, he always had claret and blue blood. From the, you know, he joined them when he was 15. Yeah. So, so he was West Ham man through and through. So don't 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 let's you know use this forecast and suggest anything other than the fact that mm. you know he and Ron Greenwood fell out, but he never fell out with the club.
3: So it's a personal problem between him and Ron Greenwood yeah, and the I mean, management, Ron, rather than West Ham. Ron
5: was a, a, a thorough gentleman, and um, he, he couldn't um, understand uh, Bobby's lifestyle. I mean, they they were poles apart. And uh, the celebrity friends that uh, Bobby attracted, which very much like David Beckham does now, Ron saw them as intruders and hangers-on. When, mm. And, uh, and that, that started the... The undercurrent between the
3: two of them. Yeah, I mean, Harry Redknapp, as I say, was was on a, a, a Bobby Moore tribute special a few <laughs> weeks ago, <laughs> yes, and he right. he said that um, that Bo- Bobby Moore he he claims that Bobby Moore was ejected by a steward during a West Ham game uh, that he was sitting there with um, with uh, Frank Lampard's wife. Uh, they were playing in Division Two at the time, and uh, Bobby Moore used to c- you know come in. He'd just come back from America, he says. And, um, you know, he used to come into a little side door 10 minutes after kickoff. off um, And he said that a Stuart came up and said, sorry, Bob, but I've been told by the secretary you're not allowed in without a ticket. And he said Bobby Moore left that day and, and, and never came back to watch another West Ham game. I don't... I mean, that, that's what... Yeah, I, mean, yes, that's so what
5: I, I, I wasn't there as a witness, but I did hear it secondhand, and, uh, and Bobby was very, very bitter about it. Um, yeah, but as
3: you say, this is more of a... I guess Ron Greenwood was still in charge of that say this is a, this is more of a West Ham management than the West Ham the club and as and I think he was always um recognized by the fans and always hero worshiped by the fans another thing I wanted to uh, until I researched I didn't know this about him which is the Watford connection yeah so um Elton John has recently taken over Watford Football Club li- needed a new manager um and, and if my research is to be, be believed um you know, Morrow at that time was looking to break into management. Yeah. Um, the two men met. Uh, they they shook on a deal.
5: Yeah, well, Bobby and dominated with hands. So, um, so as far as he was concerned, he, he was the next corporate manager. And the next thing he knew, yeah. the press manager, and you know, was him that Brian Taylor had got the job. Yeah. And so, uh,
3: that, that really hurt
5: Bobby. hurt him deeply. Not not so much he didn't get the job, but the way it was done. You know, the... And I think Elton would admit that he was
3: embarrassed by the he handled that month. Yeah, well, again, and ag- on, on another management level, um, and, and this is this is something that the FA maybe need to answer, saying only two months after the Watford job fell through, Moore wrote to the Football Association about the England yep, uh, did. management team. Yeah, hand, he hand-wrote uh, hand wrote, uh, hand his own letter, didn't tell anybody, and, put it in the post. And, uh, and uh, it was by Tom Reavy. Um, and, you know... Uh, Maybe it says in, in the research that he didn't expect to do it, but what hurt him more is he he didn't even get a reply from from the FA. Which yeah,
5: exactly. Uh, again, it, it's uh, you know the fact that uh, the man who prayed played 108 times for England, 90 times as captain, they couldn't even be bothered to reply to him.
3: Yes, and and, and I think you know the FA. Uh, I don't know if they're making up for it, or you could be cynical, but certainly there was a lot of emphasis during the 150-year anniversary and certainly at the um, the, the Brazil-England game recently. Um, so, I, I mean, there's a question. I asked this, as Trevor, and I asked it to you. What would Bobby Moore make of all this? You know, everybody knows his name. If you ask a five-year-old school kid who Bobby Moore is, they know who he is. What would he make of all this brand and... and uh, can I tell record-
5: you exactly what he'd do? <coughs> and this is Bobby. <coughs> it's shrug, shrug and laugh. You wouldn't let it get to him, but, but that's to the public. But lying in bed at night when his head hits the pillow, he'd be a very sad guy because the establishment ignored him. And then after he'd gone, they built statues to him. Yes. And if there yes. a player deserves deserved statues, it was Bobby. <clears throat> As you know, I've, I've, I've written a book um, called Bobby Moore, the Master, <clears throat> and uh, all profits are going to the Bobby Moore Cancer Fund. One of the revelations is that um, in 1965 he underwent an operation for testicular cancer and they uh, had a testicle removed. Now that was kept quiet at the time because cancer was a word that nobody ever mentioned. Now can you imagine if that had been today, what, what a hero that boy would have been? You know, two or less than two years later he collected not only the Cup in his cup with West Ham but also the World Cup with England. Or, or, you know, within two years of a day operation. It was
3: incredible. Absolutely. So one of the questions I asked earlier to, to Sir Trevor was about, um, you know, we always hear about how he was an inspirational leader, both on and off the pitch. How did you see that? I mean, you, you saw maybe him off the pitch more. Well, there's there, I mean, there, 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 the
5: there p- different types of captain. Mm. Um, as I've already um, confessed, I'm, I'm a Spurs man. Dave Mackay, you and led the team with a brandished fist and uh, put the fear of God into not only his teammates but the opposition. Bobby did it quietly and played uh, did it by example. I mean, I've I've never known anybody who could raise his game like Bobby. If if things were going wrong, suddenly he became twice the player. And um, that used to rub off on his teammates. But you would never see him brandishing his fists. He'd he'd, he'd quietly say things in the area and... and, uh, he could swear with the best of them, but uh, he, he was never a Dave Mackay-in-your-face sort of captain. But the fact yeah. that Al Framsey um, made him captain 90 times, Ron Green had, had him captain throughout his time at West Ham, even even though they didn't particularly get on uh, off the pitch, uh, it just shows how, how they, they recognise his leadership qualities.
3: Yes, absolutely. But, I mean, obviously going on after after his last game for Fulham in 1977 and his death in 93. Um, a lot of people saying he was a forgotten man, you know, shunned yeah. by the football authorities, ignored by club chairman, um, even maybe not even welcome at West Ham under certain management. Um, so, I mean, he 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 went on for a number of business um, yeah, so initiatives
5: on himself in a way, in as much as he gave the impression he was much more interested in trying to become a millionaire businessman than, than the next uh, Brian Clough or, or, or the next Ron Greenwood. But deep down, he wanted to stay in football. And uh, yeah. he, he, for some reason, you know, he only attracted clubs in, in the far-flung outposts. And uh, yeah. the, the, the major clubs just didn't
3: come for him. Well, let's talk about his business. Because um, obviously, he, he ran a sports shop, which I think he, he opposite the ground, which he, he, um, he, he got rid of it, it, after it, he left. You it. say he ran it. I mean,
5: he was hardly ever in there. Uh, yeah, of course. He
3: owned it. Yeah, he owned yeah, it. It. <laughs> a yeah. Um and, and obviously he I I hear he ran enterprises such as um Bobby Moore jewellery, Bobby Moore T shirts, which didn't make him very much. But then in, in the early seventies he went into consortium about this, this hall in Essex, uh mm-hmm. Hall, wasn't yeah, it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and that caused him a lot of problem. I mean I hear, and you may be able to correct me on this, that when the project collapsed, he basically lost all his money right, but the, then, in his the legal, playing career. For legal
5: reasons, I have to be tr- tr- carefully on this one because uh, some very famous people were involved. But, um, I'm not naming names, but, but a lot of them let, you know, let, uh, let Bobby down badly. Um, but they all put their names in like Bobby did, but when it came to paying the bills and, and uh, the final bill was over £100,000, which was a fortune then, there was nobody around to pay it, but Bobby. And, uh,
2: yeah. So, um, it's,
5: so uh, in the late seventies, he had he
3: money. The, the uh claim that he lost basically his fortune from or fortune, the money he earned from his playing career is probably true in oh, that. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah. I, I mean,
5: uh, for, for anybody had to, have to put, cough up a hundred grand back then, it doesn't matter who he was. I mean, he was he was he was never um, a, a million pound a year footballer. Remember? I mean, you used to get. Yeah. Uh, you
3: know, £100,000 at most. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, uh, he moved on to, and and the people to say that not other many people were giving him a job, but he went on to David Sullivan, the current chairman, working for the Sunday Sport. Um, Certainly, again, a a story I've read was, you know, even when the Sunday Sport was losing money, he was working three hours a week. He was being paid £25,000 a year. And uh, the, the editor at the time, um, were, were sacking everybody else, but um, David Sullivan insisted, he was hero-worshipping um, Bobby Moore and insisted he was kept on, I don't know uh, if you Bob, know.
5: Yeah, Bobby was one of the highest paid journalists in the country at the time, and, and, and I, I was a journalist myself in Fleet Street then, and he was getting four times more than me, but I, I never begrudged him, that they were paying for one of the greatest names in world football.
4: Yeah.
5: Uh, David Sullivan, did, you know, I idolised Bobby. I personally hated it when when he joined that newspaper because it was beneath him,
4: but yes.
5: he, he was heavily in debt, and so he
3: took the job. Yeah, so he, he moved on um, and, and started working for Capital Goad with Jonathan Pierce, and he he was on the Radio Five show recently as well. Um, but Jonathan again in, in an article said, really that didn't earn very much. If if yeah, you yeah. commentated on a game, you'd get 150 pound plus expenses. Yeah. So I guess even then, even though he was back in football and being a pundit, that wasn't really going to make him a proper living.
5: I, I don't know if you know my history, but um, my best buddy was Jimmy Greaves, and um, I got Jimmy into broadcasting, and we, you know, be, be, between us, we got him a, a media career going, and, and, and Jimmy made a hell of a success of it, and Bobby saw that as a way for himself. But... Um, he, he didn't have um, Jimmy's uh, prowess at the microphone. I mean, you know, Jimmy was a, a master at being natural, whereas Bobby was quite taught, and that's T-A-U-T, taught at the, 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 the um, microphone, and uh, he, he, he very relaxed until he got to work with Jonathan Pierce. Jonathan Pierce brought the best out of him. And, and he, yeah. And he became, he became a very good broadcaster.
3: And obviously he was in that job um, when he passed away on the 24th of February, um, 1993. Um, obviously, we're coming up for the 20-year anniversary. How, how will you be commemorating that, Norman, uh, your, your friend?
5: Um, my, mine was very, very very, quietly um, thinking and reflecting on a man who was probably the greatest defender ever to step onto a football pitch, certainly the greatest British defender, and um, a man who always represented football with dignity, and with style and and off the pitch, he was a gentleman, never complained uh, when things were going wrong for him. And uh, through his illness, he took it bravely. Had a, a wonderful wife in uh, Stephanie, who um, has done most to, to keep his name alive. And uh, I will always think of Bobby Moore as um, a genius of a footballer and a lovely, lovely gentleman.
3: Yeah, and that, that's lovely. Um I think you know a l- people will be you know different. There's different events going on, and people remember their own way. I, I was lucky enough, as I think last time, to briefly meet the man, uh, only for about 30 seconds. You know, it was very nice to me. A young boy I was. He had a picture taken, signed an autograph, uh, and he always had time for West Ham fans. So that, that was typical
5: Robbie.
3: Yeah, time for everybody. Yeah. And and, his next, and of
5: course his next post will be his first.
3: Yeah, and and as you say, a great legacy is the Bobby Moore Fund. It's got a lot more profile in recent times, and and I hope it, I mean, hearing now that they're sort of approaching the £20 million mark. Yeah, it's over
5: Yeah, Yeah, I'm delighted to be able to have written this book because um, most people would run a marathon. I I don't have the energy anymore to run a marathon, so I've written this book. Not a penny's going to me or to the publisher. All, All profits are going to the fund. If people could support the book I'd
3: greatly appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I've just i finished reading the book. Um, Norman, you'll be glad to hear. I, I was one of the first people to get the book, so yeah. I've read it and and it's very good. It goes through all the hundred and eight games with which he capped in ninety. There's a lot of quotes directly from Bobby that you collated over the years. And there's a lot of extra information about Bobby. And then and then the other bit towards the end of the book, um, is is a lot of things that people said about Bobby. Um, in, in his life and, and after he, he passed away, um, and then a good timeline of Bobby of, of is his, his whole lifetime. So it's, it's a really good read. Uh, money goes to the Bobby Moore Fund. So um, maybe we can finish there normal by telling people how they can get a copy of the book and support the Bobby Moore Fund.
5: Yes, well, I'd greatly appreciate it. So then go online because you can only get it online, and it's www.normangillerbooks.com. And um, I, I will send a personal email to anybody who orders the book. And um, thank you, all, but, but between us, we'll all re- be remembering a great man and also helping a great cause.
3: Yes, thank you. Norman, as ever, Norman Giller, uh, our favourite guest from more than just a podcast. Thank you much for your, your time. And, yeah, we'll, we'll all be remembering Bobby on the, on the 24th. Thanks.
5: But, so thank no. you. All, all each down there. let them know that I'm the kid from Cable Street.
3: Yeah, we, we won't. Yeah, we just forget the uh, Spurs contact uh, <laughs> connection. <laughs> All right, Thank you, Norman. Bye. All the best, everybody.
2: Bye. Bye. So there he was, Norman Giller. Yeah. Uh, as you had some little surprising facts about Bobby and his some good stories his time at West Ham. Mm.
3: I mean, we could sugarcoat it and say, you know, <laughs> good worry. sorry, good we what? could sugarcoat <laughs> it and right. say that you know Bobby never wanted to leave West Ham, but it, it's not true. You know, it, it is obvious that. You know, he had some opportunities in in Derby and and Spurs, and um,
2: well, as Norman said, Tottenham were the best team mm. at that time when they wanted him. So yeah, but he did no he, surprise. You know,
3: he stayed and he went to Fulham in the end, and you know, towards the end of his you know playing days.
0: But it's also very clear that no matter how they've sort of certain people have tried to make it sound like he'd sort of lost the love of West Ham. That's not the case. No, he lost was, the love of Ron he, Greenwood. He had, a, he had a personality clash with Ron Greenwood and yeah. that was the reason for him actually wanting to leave the club. Yeah,
3: well, and, and that's I'm glad we've understood that now because a lot of papers and, and Harry Redknapp have tried to say yeah, now the club, the club let him and down him. And, and and it doesn't appear to be the case. I it mean, seems to be that he and Ron Greenwood had falling out and Ron, Green, Green, Ron Greenwood, if I could say that word, didn't understand him. He right. understood... Bobby Moore, the footballer. He didn't understand Bobby Moore, the celebrity. Bobby Moore, the drinker. Bobby Moore, the businessman, and everything else that went with Bobby Moore. But
0: then you know, the, in some respects, the club did did let him down. When they, you know, as an all the years gone by, they could have brought him back into the fold. And the, the fact is, for the current ownership now. You know, and they definitely would have had his involvement, wouldn't they? Oh, was, yeah, they uh, you know, like uh, David
2: Sullivan at the well,
0: Sunday you heard about David Sullivan, you know,
3: David Sullivan, you know, made him the highest
2: paid journalist. But it was it was the Kearns uh,
0: family, wasn't it? It was them. Then we had um, Terence Brown, who, um, Terry Brown, who was just
2: his real name is Terence. Yeah. Right.
0: yeah. So,
3: but he did. I mean, he, he was on. He would lost all his playing money, as you heard, uh, all the money he earned as a playing career. You know, he was in debt, and it, it sounds like he, you know he really never got out of that. But you know, fair play to Stephanie, and fair play to the Bobby Moore funds, and, and that's what fair play to Norman. Yeah, fair play to Norman. You get his book. All yeah. the money from Try and, his and book. forget that he's a Spurs fan. But he's still an East End boy, and he's still a, f- a friend of of uh, of Bobby Moore. And all that God money from his book. Yeah, all money from his book goes to the Bobby, the Bobby Moore, Moore Fund,
2: Cancer yeah. Fund. Yeah. 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 So. There, there you go. Talking of that. We should give a shout for John Joe, I believe.
3: Yeah, John Joe was going to be on this podcast, so I spoke to John Joe's mum, Donna, and and John Joe by her email, and we had actually lined up to do an interview. I don't know if you know, but he started his walk today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, he was busy on the Sunday. He was uh, he was commemorating his nanny's anniversary of her passing, and he was also at Upton Park yesterday. So I'd arranged at midday to speak to him on Saturday, but he, he's, he's been up with his tag team at like 2 o'clock in the morning as an 11-year-old. Well, you can track him on and GPS, can't yes, you? Yes, right, and uh, unfortunately, on, on the arranged time at 12 o'clock on Saturday, was asleep, so uh, catching up with his sleep, so it didn't happen. But uh, we support John Joe and his uh, walk. It's a 92-team tag team, uh, as you said, GPS, and, um, yeah, you know, go to John Joe's Herman's um, uh, website website or Twitter and support him and, and donate to a very good fund. All money, again, goes to the Bobby Moore Fund. Excellent. Go John Joe. Go, go John, John Joe. Joe. And I don't know if you know, at the end, he's giving Bobby Moore's captain's armband to Sir Trevor Brookin, who's just been on our podcast, and Stephanie Moore.
2: His website is www. So go and yeah. watch him do his walk and donate to the Bobby Moore Fund. Well done, John Yeah, excellent.
3: Mm. Well done. Right,
2: so, now I guess it's time for memories. It's for memories, yeah. So gonna, we have,
3: have you got a new jingle?
2: Uh, no, I can make one. Hang on. Bobby Moore memories there you go there's a jingle yeah. that's quick and There was. Uh, so we asked or we did or we both asked yeah we did uh, for you our listeners to send in your memories of Bobby however however were brought your up your
3: personal memories of Bobby yeah on Twitter on or Twitter or and Facebook.
2: Facebook so Jerry Norton at Jacks Large gives us his memory of Bobby <coughs> excuse me saw his last game against Hereford in the FA Cup the three day week meant no for the light so game was midweek 2pm kick off
3: you won't remember the free day week, will you, George?
2: No, no. I don't know what that means. Oh, she's it's dad. Clear in your memory, isn't it, Sean?
3: Yeah, it is. Yeah. Do you know? Explain yeah. to him what the free day week is.
0: Well, you would, can you remember what the free day yeah, week was? Yeah, I can. Go on yeah.
3: On. Yeah. So basically, um, there was only a, a free day week. Oh. <laughs> 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 working <laughs> week. There's a free day working week, and there was only power enough for a certain day. It was so a general strike. It was a general strike. Everything
0: yeah. was falling apart.
3: Yeah.
2: At Holmesdale 35 says In 1984 when I was 15 I was with the South End as a kid We played a match at Roots Hall I looked up into the stand And sitting behind my dad in the stand Watching watching me play was the great Bobby Moore It's something I'll never forget That's a good memory
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: The Harlow Hammer says He put out a fire that started in my great nan's house in 1969 I wrote up about it in a Villarreal program that's, that's, that's a good memory. Again, yeah, that is I don't know what the Villarreal program's got to do with it. Yeah. see <laughs> if we can get a copy of that. Next. Eddie Lawrence at Hammer one says, he almost run me over outside the ground in his jag. All I remember, it was an evening match, dark-coloured jag walking across, opening to West Ham Car... No, it was an evening match, a, dark- he, a dark-coloured jag. I was walking across, opening to West Ham Car Park, and he was turning in. I told him to f off as he swung in, and my mate said, "You know who that was, don't you?" And it wasn't till I looked and I felt like I felt like a plank with a massive smile. He just waved and apologized to me, like I said. Hashtag sorry, Bob, absolute legend. It's another good memory. Mm. Debbie Clark at Debbie's Clark says, "Waiting for a cab with a friend when a voice asked if we could share a cab. It was Bobby. He paid and was such a gentleman. Another good one." Ian Flynn at Flinney one o six says I met my hero Bobby Moore in nineteen seventy one in South End when I was five. He signed my West Ham England Bobby Moore Pennant. I remember it well, never forgotten Doug Pederson, Dougie Doug Nut on Twitter says, presenting me and my presenting me my Hollywood Rangers under 12 Player of the Year in nineteen seventy nine a bloody great bloke Mark Edwards at mark Edwards ninety five said I met Bobby whilst he was South End manager." Always happy to speak to the fans, a true gentleman, hero, and role model. Sean, do you want to do the Facebook Yeah, on so on two of them on Facebook.
3: Uh, Peter Martin, friend of the podcast. My first match, aged eight, nineteen sixty-eight, West Ham versus Villa. Bobby Moore was playing, and my granddad had taken us to the Villa end to watch the game. The old South Bank. Thanks, Peter. Now this one is f- actually from my brother, so. Um, I haven't mentioned this before, but my my father was a printer. He he was a West Ham fan, and he owned a newspaper stand on Isha Station. My brother used to work there in the morning. So in 1986, uh, we don't know why, but Bobby Moore was living or staying in Isha at the time, and basically used to get an early morning train and buy a paper from my brother at the station. And my brother's memory is he always smelled <laughs> of drink. He said he always smelled like he'd, he'd had a, a, a few beers the night before, but he said he was an absolute gent. And, uh, yeah, he used to buy a Daily Mail, I believe, every, every morning. Interesting. And then, finally, it's my memory. And uh, I, I'm sure i put this on the Facebook group before, but I have a, a photo of myself and Bobby Moore. I was 12. It was taken in 1980. And it was at the Decca Sports Ground in Tolworth, Surrey. And basically, he was running um, the Bobby Moore soccer, summer soccer school that my brother was in. And uh, he came along on the last day. He didn't train people. And uh, he gave people certificates and, and congratulated everyone and shook their hands and had their pictures. And he was kind enough to have his picture taken with me. And it's one of my treasured, uh, treasured possessions. So, yeah, that's my personal memory of Bobby Moore.
2: Good memories. Thank you for sharing your memories of Bobby with us. Um, And to mark the end of the podcast, we should remind you of how the club themselves are going to be remembering Bobby. Yeah. So there's a reef laying on Sunday the 24th, which is the day 20 years on. Yeah. um, At the Green Street statue of him and the World Cup winning lads. Um, The Spurs match on the Monday the 25th will include Sir Jeff Hurst, Sir Trevor Brooking, and Martin Peters. There'll be a one minute applause prior to the kickoff.
3: Let's hope Spurs. Um, I'm sure it will be. I'm sure it'll be abide fine. by that.
2: And a mosaic of a number six shirt in the Bobby Moore stand will be lifted, and there is a special hundred pay program slash BMF. I assume means the that the Bobby funds Moore
3: fund. So the money's an extra fifty p's going to the Bobby Moore fund, and there's a lot of Bobby Moore related stuff. So we're going to the Spurs game, aren't we? As, as part of that commemoration,
2: we are
4: george on monday night
3: um and and we'll be back we don't know what day yet on the podcast um maybe
2: we could do an outside broadcast at the spurs match use that as our podcast we are do week. an
0: outside we could do and then broadcast you could do the second part of the
3: uh of, of uh jeff, jeff Hurst, pike. Uh, jeff first jeff, jeff, <laughs> jeff pike i wish afterwards, anyway um yeah there you go that's our bobby Moore special hope it wasn't too Light-hearted and jovial, but it's a sad yeah, time. It is, mm. yeah. But we're we're all here to
0: celebrate. We all respect and well, love that lo- we love. We love. The man. We
3: do love Bobby Moore
0: mm-hmm.
2: about Reese. I do. I do. From what I've listened, I think all Englishmen heard. have to love him. Yeah. He does. He's a true gent and a true player. And yes.
3: it's amazing, you know, that even. My my wife doesn't know many football players. She knows David Beckham Beckham and uh, Who's he? And David Bobby Beckham. Moore. When David I said Beckham? I was gonna speak to uh, Sir <laughs> Trevor Brookin, she didn't know who that was, but she knew who Bobby Moore was. And my two children, uh Finlay and Sophia, both knew who Bobby Moore was and one of their six and, and ten. So there you go. So but I think also
0: it's that they're also <laughs> the children of a West Ham fan. Well they so do, they do but they don't
3: know many many other West Ham players or any other players. So know T.T. No Kamara. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway
2: <a> <laughs> Anyway so, yeah. Cue the jingle I think we should Play out on the song Yeah Yeah mm. I think we should Play out on that song So okay. uh, yep. Thank you for listening To monitor's Podcast Podcast Bobby Moore Special tribute
3: yep. Episode Episode 22 We'll um, be back For episode 23
2: If you go into the game On Monday Enjoy it And on the 6th minute I believe Everyone's going to Sing his name Aren't they I believe As so well, yeah. we didn't mention that's that So sing along That's not
3: an official Club one That's uh, the support That's a fans yeah. one
2: Yeah Um Come on, you Irons. Thank you for listening. Come on, you Irons. Bye.
3: Bye. We
4: won the Cup in 64, beat Preston 3-2. With goals from Johnny Sissons, Ronnie Boyce and Jeffers two And Bobby Moore, he ran the show until the game was won. A barking boy of 19 years. The King had just begun. Cup Winners' Cup in 65 to Wembley once again. His fine blonde hair was everywhere as Bobby ran the game. Two goals from Alan Seeley brought the cup to E13. We drank a toast to all the boys and... Bobby Moore the king, and then in 1966 the country made the call. Sir Alfie rang Ron Greenwood, he said, Ron, I need them all. Ron said, don't be greedy, I'll only give you three. More are and Peters, get down to Wembley. Well, Martin Peters scored a goal and Geoffrey scored three. Bobby was the captain when we beat West Germany. Bobby was the general, the leader of the team. When West Ham won the World Cup and England reigned supreme, his memory will never fade, the greatest in the land. Now Bobby Moore's in heaven, he sits at God's right hand. The finest number six the football world has ever seen. And that's how we'll remember him, Bobby Moore the King.